Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me in studio, uh, it's, it's my buddy Chris Johnston. Chris, what's going on, man? It is a rare occasion when we can sit across from each other and talk. Yeah, we, so. we've done this once before uh, at the trade deadline, I believe, and you came to my loft <laughs> and uh, near the St. Lawrence Market, and we talked, and now we're, uh, we're in Little Italy recording this, so... I like this. You're, you actually get me to new parts of Toronto because <laughs> probably like any city that you live in, you end up sort of staying to your neighborhood or, or where you work or maybe even in some cases where your friends are. So right. I haven't been up here near enough and I live two kilometers door to door. Maybe during the off season, I should start a uh, exploring Toronto blog and, and just... I think you'd do well at it. Capturing all these different locations we record at. You've got the spirit of the city in you. I like yeah. that. Um, all right. So it's, uh, what is it? It's August 9th. Nothing's really happened lately. I feel like today's biggest story was that Alex Ovechkin might have gotten injured while he was training, but then a report quickly came out, came out saying that he's not actually injured and he's fine and he'll play in the World Cup. So that's where we're at news-wise and at this point of the offseason. My favorite of all of the countries is Russian reports because they actually are quite honestly, I think people maybe are a bit too skeptical. They're actually quite honestly usually right, but there's there's always a level of sort of mystery you know, in myself, having covered a lot of international tournaments, the, the Russian team of any team is the hardest to kind of crack, just even for simple information. Yeah. So so it doesn't surprise me that that story would be very unclear, even if it wasn't Alex Ovechkin. But, you know, it's it's been a fascinating few weeks because, you know, every once in a while, even though I'm enjoying my vacation, yeah. you sort of like wonder, like, what am I missing? And then you, you go to General Fanager, Cap Friendly, whatever you use, and look at the signings. Like, there's not even sort of modest RFA signings at yeah. this point. I mean, I, I sense that most of the hockey world is not paid. It's not just the journalists. I think it's everyone's just on the agents, the, the, yeah. the GMs, the AGMs. And, you know, everyone's just enjoying the summer because we all know, especially the World Cup. Yeah. It's going to start with a sprint this year in September. Yes. Well, it's good. I, th- I feel like we deserve it. It was a, it was a good playoffs. And, and as you mentioned now, with the World Cup, and then it's going to be the condensed schedule, and everything's going to be so hectic this year that I think it's kind of good to get a little break here. It is, but I've missed the, the PDO cast. And yes. I'm not just saying and that because well, I'm sitting across from you. <laughs> it was like a month of an empty feed. 
Yeah. And and so I was quite excited last week that I was, I you know, back. because I'm living a life of leisure mm-hmm. for the most part. I've got lots of, I've actually been listening to podcasts like crazy and yours, Dimitri, I must say, is one that's been missing. So well, glad to have you back the last couple you. shows. I'm glad to have you back on the show. Um, all right. So I'm here in Toronto um, and one thing I'll be doing here other than enjoying my vacation and exploring all the different neighborhoods the city has to offer is uh, a meeting with our bosses at Sportsnet to discuss our game plan for how we're going to cover this coming season and sort of uh, the approaches we want to take and stuff we want to focus on. And I think uh, now that I have you in studio, it'll be interesting to sort of just discuss uh, where we're at now in 2016 in terms of kind of relaying information to consumers because there still is... I feel like the fan base is growing in terms of people that want more numbers heavy stuff and more thinking fans, if you will, in terms of they want the minutia of what's going on and, and all the, all things like that. But we also, at the same time, you don't, whether it's on TV or on podcasts or in written work, you don't just want to regurgitate a bunch of numerical information at someone because that's not very entertaining. And that's ultimately why they're tuning in for it. Right. Cause like all this stuff's available online. You can search it up yourself, but generally people that, are working a nine to five job of their own and just want to kind of want you to tell them what they need to know, what the specifics are. So I don't know, like how do you approach that as, as someone who does work in all these different uh, sort mediums in terms of trying to um, kind of put your, t- you put a, a, a spin on that while also remaining entertaining and not trying to overwhelm them with information. Well, the one thing that's always frustrated me, and and I can't say that I've found a solution to this yet, but I found as a journalist specifically that that players, if we're gonna, let's just talk about players, just to keep it as narrow as possible, they'll get like something attached to them. Mm-hmm. So like a player will do something sort of notable, and someone will be the first to write about it or talk about it, and then that person gets asked incessantly about that one specific thing in his life over and over and over and over again. You know, you might see with a draft prospect whose dad played in the NHL. Right. Or, I mean, that's that's fairly obvious. But but even, you know, occasionally something, you know, Patrick O'Sullivan, who's become very well known on, on Twitter, you know, had some interesting circumstances with his father growing up. Mm-hmm. And, like, that becomes kind of his story that gets told in various ways again and again and again. And I feel like that we're not always sort of doing a better job of finding the new yeah. in there. And and we're, we're all better served for that. And, and what's probably the best thing of all with what you mentioned is that the, the people that are consuming the information, or whichever medium it's coming from, it, they want more. And, right. and I, I'm with you. I think that we have to find ways to present the gray sometimes. It's not just a black and white, this is the mold you know, this team does certain moves because of this. This player does certain things because of this. I mean, we're all far more complex, as we know, being in our own minds. Like, we're, I don't do any one thing because of, of things you might know about me. Like, there's a lot more going on. And I feel like because the audience is more sophisticated that I hope that, that we'll react to it, you know, not just in sports that, but in general, that, that, that we'll recognize that there's so much more to tell. Right. And, you know, we need some help from the people we're dealing with, too, to yes. to open up to us. But, you know, there, there's evidence of that. I mean, I was telling you about this earlier, and, and I would urge anyone, and I'll have to look it up before the podcast is over, but this summer I heard a podcast with Jonathan Taves uh, where he was speaking about his interest sort of in stoicism and, and really questioning kind of, you know, deep fundamental questions about what his life is about, why he is the way he is. I mean, I think the sort of questions anyone asks 
at certain points in, in time, but to hear a hockey player right. in the prime of his career with the kind of stage he has be as open about that, and I will get the name for anyone who wants to listen, was fascinating. And I, I just think that there's it's just a reminder that there's so much there right. for all of us to pursue, and that's when you're analyzing a situation, but it's also in the sort of lifestyle, sort of storytelling right. aspect right. as well. Yeah, and I think that um, like it's easy for us on this podcast, for example, like we're hanging out right now and we can just talk about whatever and there's no real restrictions involved and it's and ultimately like in my writing work as well like if people generally the people that read or listen to my work are the people who already sort of know what they're getting into and they're going out of their way to search for it but i feel like the frontier we still need to conquer in terms of telling uh better more well-rounded interesting innovative stories is on tv because i think uh, I've discussed it with Jeff Merrick on this podcast quite a bit because he is frequently on TV and he, he mentions that he wants to say all this other interesting stuff, but he has these time restrictions and it, it's not necessarily kind of enabling him to go into these long convoluted stories. He sort of needs to hit his spots and hit his marks and then he's quickly out of there and then they're all of a sudden, you know, commercials and, and all this sort of stuff. So I don't know, like you, you've been on TV a bunch this past year doing your cocky coverage, like is there a way that we're going to get better at that in this next season or, or is there still a long way to go for that? Well, I'm an eternal, opt- eternal optimist, so I, I believe so. But, yes. but you know, the, the problems are pretty obvious. I mean, it, it's if you were ever to sit there, and I presume most people listening have better things to do, but time, <laughs> sort of how much time each person that's making a point right. speaks, it's it's very short amount of time. And yep. even an intermission segment, it's a 17-minute intermission, but... There's commercials and all this other stuff. I mean, you're really right. boiling the analysis of the game or the discussion about the points around the game down to a couple minutes, and you sometimes have four or five people on the panel. Yeah. You know, we start to see the issue here. Is there, there's no the, the real conversation isn't happening in that time frame, and I say that with respect to the people that do that. It's just it's just there's not time to get into the issues, and I think maybe that's why podcasts like this one have found a. A niche is because there's there's an opportunity maybe to unpack things a little bit more and and I have to believe you know with some of the changes that have gone on at Sportsnet specifically that that there's going to be an opportunity now to to do more because mm-hmm. I think that that the the audience has shown that that there's more interest in hearing things discussed a different way and you're right Jeff's Jeff's problem is real mm-hmm. and and the times I'm on there it's real but we still have to fight against saying that it's something you can't do. You can still make it. I think that we can accept, actually, now, the more I think about it, we can accept that the, the base level of knowledge is higher than what it, it is, was. for sure. Like, to reference some even basic analytical ideas, I don't think that you have to explain, you know, the sort of Each where time it comes you don't from. have to explain the definitions right. of where we got all this shot stuff. Shot attempts, uh, not including block shots yeah. or whatever. <laughs> like, that, that once would have been, even four or five years ago, was common even in written articles in the mainstream press. I think that there's ways to do it now. Look at my dad's 68. Yeah. He understands this, like yeah. the general stuff. Right. Well, it's common and, sense. It's like, right. Yeah. And, I, and I think that there's a way now that maybe we can accept that our audience knows more and, and hopefully use that as a way to get into at least slightly deeper ideas, but it's, it's difficult with the time constraints. Right. Well, I think that one thing I'm definitely going to recommend to our bosses is that I give everyone a crash course on what analytics actually means because uh, we were discussing it's a loaded this, term. We were discussing this before we went on the air, and I understand. I'm, I, I say it sometimes myself, just because it is easier just to say that rather than like preface it with this, 
you know, long spiel about what you're actually referring to. It's like kind of like a catch-all term. But like during the draft, for example, one of the last hockey broadcasts that I watched, it just every 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 single thing the Arizona Coyotes did was an analytics move. It's like drafting Clayton Keller analytics. It's like I I I don't you know I'm not privy to what the Coyotes were using to make that pick, but. I can go on his hockey DB page and see that, you know, he scores a lot and he produces a lot of goals and he's a very productive offensive player. And I imagine that was one of the main selling points for them, that this guy's a really skilled and talented and we know that goals are hard to come by in the NHL. So we're going to take him because generally you have to get those guys early in the draft if you're ever going to get them. Well, and the reality is, is most GMs rely on their scouting people to really guide them to the pick. I mean, yep. maybe it's the GM at the end of the day that has to, to sort of live and die by it, especially if there's uh, two two ideas in, in his own camp and he has to make the final word. But it's not like John Shaika is, is, you know, like he's not orchestrating all this. I mean, right. he's busy enough. We've seen everything the Coyotes have done. <laughs> they've been hiring people. They've got a new AHL franchise that they're populating. They, they've made a lot of moves this offseason. My guess is because he was relatively new on the job yeah. at that draft that he was leaning on the the scouting staff that has been in place. And plus, I mean, he was in the organization before in a in a more junior role before yep. becoming GM. But you're right; he's not he's not pulling all the strings and saying, right. you know, analytics. He's not just like opening up a big spreadsheet and being like, okay, we're taking this this guy, and then we're trading for all these guys. Like, there's so much that goes into it. It's not. And I'm not sure where this comes from. Yeah. I think there's the I guess there's always a level of mystery around these teams. That even those of us like like you and I, Dimitri, who know lots of people who work for the teams, who talk to them, who maybe even friendly with them, right. we don't always get a total view into what's happening. Mm-hmm. But the, the little bit of peek behind the door we get reveals that there's a lot of the same human dynamics that exist in any workplace. Yeah. And, and there's competing ideas and competing voices and internal politics. And there's all these things. So it's like, yes, teams have really across the league have probably hired analytics people. Yes. But you're using I, air quotes there. Yes, sorry, <laughs> that's not shown on the, the podcast. But like analytics, right, is a very broad field. Still, to say, in fact, if there's anything we can say that's happened since free agency, I mean, the most interesting moves, arguably, is the stuff that's kind of the shuffling behind the scenes. Because I think we're still trying to get a handle on which teams are using this, how are they using it, right? And there's there's been some evidence. Tyler Dello, yep. not being renewed by the Oilers. Yep. Matt Pfeffer with with the Habs. I mean. This this thing, I don't know, it, it's, it's almost like a couple of years ago when the, the outside people said, all right, teams are doing analytics. Let's right. not talk about it. Well, right. let's face it. This is evolving still. Right. And we've had discussions about this off the air, but I think it is interesting. I think people listening to this podcast will be interested to kind of get a little peek behind the curtain in the sense that, like, for someone, for someone like myself, I would not want to work for a team just being hired as the token analytics guy in the sense that you hire someone just so you can point to it and be like, oh, listen, like we're doing analytics. Clearly, we have this guy on our staff. And, and I think that happened around the league. It happened, especially that one summer two years ago, I believe, where just like all these teams are hiring just one guy just to they sort put of out a press release. they're doing it. Yes. And it's like, well, of course we're doing it. Come on, look, we hired this guy. But then, I mean, months later or whatever, you, you, you talk to that person and you just find out that they've sort of been emailing back and forth with themselves because, you know, their decisions aren't actually, they're not having a serious voice in the room. It's not going to dictate all the moves, but you should at least consider it if you're going to hire the person rather than just doing it for a, you know, a show of good faith or whatever. And this is why you need, I think, to be successful. You need the strength of an organization that, that goes top down because people have to feel comfortable in their roles. And I could honestly see 
and I believe this has happened, where some GMs don't really listen or don't adhere to some of the things. I mean, I'm sure part of it is just they don't buy into it, and right. they're the one at this point who has full control on hockey matters, and, yep. and it, it is that simple. But I also think there's an element of they still have to prove their own worth. And then if they're just you know getting certain reports and making moves based on those reports and if those moves work – you know, they might be at a point at some, you know, not that far down the road where they're not getting the credit either. Yeah. So I think that, that to make it really work, everyone has to feel comfortable where they are and be part of a team. And, yeah. and that that's something that organizations in every industry struggle with because there's a lot of natural tension built into these these ideas. And if I were to wager and I don't I don't have the I don't have the number, but I'm guessing the number of teams where this works what we from the outside would say is is well, it's like definitely less than five. Yeah, out of thirty yeah, now thirty one so. teams. Think, yeah, yeah, that's true. And and might be like two or three. Well, and I think I've been asked like, what would if you were running a team, what would your optimal sort of work situation look like? And I think that you know if you look at a team like the Leafs, for example, where they have that one summer they hired a bunch of guys, but they clearly like put together an infrastructure there that it's like it's a it's a sort of a symbiotic environment where these guys are working together and they're building off of each other and they're not just yelling into an empty abyss they're actually sort of growing as hockey minds because they're going back and forth and they're challenging each other's findings and that's the way you go and then you have someone in place whether it's an assistant gm or whoever that can sort of act as that as that bridge or buffer as you put it where the, the guys can be like, this is what we found, and then he can go and talk to his boss and figure it out that way. Because sometimes the divide between uh, a person that's brought in to consult for analytical findings and a GM is so vast that you, sometimes you can't actually bridge that yourself. You need someone in the middle to do that for you. Right, and that's that's where Kyle Dubas in the Leaf situation fits in so well. Because, I mean, I guess in some circles he's become known as an analytics air quote guy right. but obviously his background is really funny he's actually like a very just say, it's a hockey guy right? if, like, if you just saw his resume yeah he's as much a hockey guy as anyone his age that that's that's in that level and you know he's he's had all those sort of traditional i guess if you want to call it that experiences and and but then he's obviously has an open mind mm-hmm. and so i think he must and i'll tell you these days and it's not an axe to grind, but it's even tougher and tougher to figure out exactly what's going on in there if you're in my role. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, the way I can imagine, the way I sort of know it gen, you know, generally is that he can present the, the findings of, you know, to, he's, he's in the management discussions. Yep. And, and he's got the back of the people that are, that are doing those analysis for him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have to assume... And if the Leafs PR staff is listening, I haven't talked to Kyle with this because <laughs> I don't want to betray him in any way, but I haven't. But but I'm just, I have to assume he, he cares about, like he's yeah. not asking them, it's not a make work situation, right? And it, and it is an ideal way for it to be because I think we've seen a number of situations without naming names at this stage of the podcast where I know of people who've been producing report after report, uh, you know, analysis on the current team. You know, maybe players they should target. Right. Uh, you know, opportunities, and they just feel like they're firing into the abyss. Yes. And at, at the very least, we know in the Leafs situation that they have a champion at, at the big table. Right. Doesn't mean Lou Lamorell is listening to Kyle Dubas, and in fact, there's a few moves that the team's made that <laughs> suggest otherwise. But at the very least, that's working the way it should. Right. Because that voice is being heard, and I think 
you know, other teams can't employ as many people. There's a money aspect. But right. I think that there's something to be learned from, you're right, they need a champion on the inside yeah. who can, can bridge that divide. What, what do you think, like, what's your take on that just from the outside? Because you did mention sort of moves that have flied in the face of what we generally would thought they'd be doing because it's stuff like giving Matt Martin a longer-term deal with a bunch of money or bringing back Roman Polak or, you know, in the draft, they went with the strategy of drafting a bunch of overage players, which is generally something you wouldn't see from a team that's looking at the numbers up really closely. Like it just seems like it was, it was definitely a, a departure from what we would have thought they would have done otherwise. Like, do you think they just like identified other inefficiencies that they should target or? It's tough to say. I, I will say the, the issue we always have because we cover sports, right? And there isn't always a scoreboard at the end of the day. And so we're watching all this in real time. And like, I'm no different than anyone else, a fan or someone like you, Dimitri. I'm trying to figure out what does this mean? What does this say about the big picture? Is this a hint of dissent? Is this, but you know, the great thing about August 9th is I feel like we're actually more naturally just a few feet removed because no one's in the middle of this. And, you know, I, to me, I see it as an organization that, that not one person has the voice that 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 much is clear it's not just it's not just Lou's world like in new jersey there there was no there was no exaggeration there like right. he he was the beginning and the end of every word about the team in Toronto. I think that he has that reputation. I don't believe that he has the full and final every say, but obviously mm-hmm. he's a big presence and I just look back to so when they're hired i mean quickly and this this actually speaks to the analytics issue so they they brought on the analytics team yeah. and Kyle Dubas at a time when Dave Nonis was still the GM right. for one season. Dave and everyone else who was associated with Dave gets fired. Right. You know, Brandon Shanahan brought them on, so he was still as the big boss. But then he hires Lou Lamorello last year, about a little bit more than a year ago now. Right. And that changes everything. I mean, Lou is... As it, old school just, as it gets. It just shows, though, that... The, the, the problem with, with saying, like, what's the perfect model right. is there's no model. Like, every year these teams change so much. Right. And I believe we could go deeper with all the teams. Yeah. I mean, the Leafs have been particularly hectic the last five years, say. But but you kind of have to get used to that environment. So what their moves say to me is that one thing I've – my honest takeaway is that Lou has some power, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have ultimate power. Right. And, and, you know, that's significant enough because there's a lot of other newer progressive voices – I mean, I expect fully to see Kyle Dubas as a GM in the Le- of probably the Leafs, but maybe right. somewhere else. Well, there was a lot of talk about that Coyotes opening for a while before he quickly shot it down. Right. But like, even Lou's, if we go back to his original press conference and someone said something about Kyle, and Lou's answer, and Lou is not, I'll tell you, I've interviewed Lou many times. It's, yep. a, it's a constant frustration of mine because <laughs> he is so good at not saying anything. Right. But he said the day that he took the job, if Kyle isn't the next GM of the Leafs, it's Kyle's fault, mm-hmm. which I re- realize is a slightly loaded comment. Right. But but really, to me, what he was saying is that most people internally see him as the next GM, and and then he was putting it all on Kyle. Like if, if he can't make this work, then it's his fault. But right. but you know, let's face it. I just think Kyle will be a GM in yes. the league, and and the the future is coming. And I think that those guys still have some say in these moves. Hmm. Well, it's interesting because we were discussing like. The, that, that progression of going from assistant GM to GM, it's not necessarily as, you know, foolproof as you, as you might think. It's not like a linear thing where you go like, okay, you're going to do this job, and then you're going to get promoted to this and this, 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 and then all of a sudden you're going to be GM. It's like these guys come from all different walks of 
of not necessarily life, but of the game, like of, of for whether it's former players or guys that have been scouts or this and that. And uh, I don't know, just like I do wonder as we're going along now here in the next couple of years, as you know, more teams hire these younger assistant GMs and, and, and teams realize that they need to become more progressive, whether we will see more of that, more of a linear progression where guys kind of get to sort of work on their craft for a few years as the assistant GM without necessarily handling all of that pressure and then all of a sudden moving, moving up to the big role. It's such a weird job because, yeah. I mean, so many of them stay around for a long time. I mean, mm. GMs, you know, for all the bad moves made around the league, and, and I think any, even the smartest mind in hockey would make bad moves, but there, so many GMs keep jobs for a really long period of time. So the seats don't really change that much. Then occasionally when they do, you see guys get a second job. Right. Jim Rutherford in Pittsburgh, Peter Shirelli in Edmonton. Uh, you know you know the idea yep. of what, what I'm referencing. And then there is a few play, guys like Jim Benning moved up from an AGM in Boston to a GM in Vancouver. But you're right. There's, there's really no – I mean, I think back to when they hired Mike Gillis out of the, the, yep. the ranks of an agent. I mean, that's happened – it's really tough to – if you're charting your course to be an NHL GM – I don't know how you do it. Yeah. Find a different career path is probably. <laughs> well, I mean, anyone who has that job today should just probably pinch themselves. I mean, I don't like right. to even get a minute. Those guys probably, to be honest, right now are thinking about stuff. Don't have enough time to, do with to their pinch team. themselves. <laughs> right. Like, like, I don't envy their life at all. But right. I'm just saying to get that kind of role and to keep it is very difficult, yeah. I think. And, and there's no one way to target at it. Like, Steve Eisenman is in the Hockey Hall of Fame. He could he could be doing anything right now. He right. could be doing a token job, shaking hands at games for the Red Wings. Yep. You know, he could probably be in business world. I'm sure he's made, you know, that's the one thing athletes all, you know, play golf with the right guys. Like they could be, he, and he's such a smart guy and he chose to be a GM. Right. And, but very few people that are as accomplished on the ice as he was choose to do it. It's it's a, the Wild West. Anyway, I know a lot of guys who work in front offices who dream of being GMs yeah. and there's only 30, 31 jobs. Now. I'm not here to ever say they can't do it because that's yeah. not my nature. But it's so difficult, and there's not, there's not. I don't know what the best schooling is, really. Yeah. And actually, the Coyotes maybe they, I mean, they're they're reaching a little bit because there's an unknown quality. I don't mm-hmm. mean that they've done wrong, right. but there, there's a there's a calculated risk in what they've done. But I think that that's the right way because at the very least, now the person who has say on hockey matters really is involved in their analytical right. you know, discussions. Yes. And, and I think the more teams move, at least to putting those people in positions of legitimate power, not just as consultants, right. I think the better arm they are. That's the next, sort of the next wave, right? Yes. It's, it's the counterbalance to what you're saying. Right. You don't want to just be a guy firing reports into the air. Yes. You need power. Yes. Yeah. We'd, yeah we'd all Hire like, Dimitri. We'd all, we'd all like a little bit of power. I'm his agent. <laughs> um, no, I... It's really funny when when you were mentioning that I was thinking like thirty teams, thirty teams, thirty teams, and I was like, oh yeah, there's thirty one teams. It's like every every year it takes like a few weeks for you to kind of realize that the, it's the calendar exciting. has actually turned. Yeah, I hate to say that like, I'm pumped about it. Yeah, my whole career there's been thirty. When I was a kid, obviously there was less. Yeah, but everything about this team. I mean, we've had expansion in the past, so I guess those that want to do their research can look back, you know, more than a decade, right, and see how it plays out. But let's face it, most people are of the moment and we're learning now in real time how's this going to work well and i think that uh we've discussed this before but like i definitely it get i get the feeling just from how everything's sort of shaping up that this las vegas expansion team will be at least at the start given 
more equal footing in terms of giving a give, being given a chance to succeed, right? Like if you look back at those expansion drafts for the past ones, it's like some of the guys being taken at the top of it was just like it was like career backup goalies and like third pairing defensemen, like were like the top choices that they can make. And I feel like at least this team, we'll see how they how what path they decide to go because there will be like a, a minimum uh, financial requirement that they have to hit, so they might have to take on some bad contracts. But it'll be fascinating to see like. They have a lot of options, it feels like, from legitimately talented players across the league. Well, it's actually, it's unprecedented, mm-hmm. really. The salary cap didn't exist the last time we had this. Mm-hmm. And they have, I think almost with every team, okay, there, there might be a few um, where they don't really have a choice, like where there's one player they're taking right. from that available pool. But I think in most cases, they'll be choosing between the guy with a bit of name and a bit of contract yeah. and the best available prospect-ish or, you know. Right, like young some, player that hasn't necessarily Right, who's like 22 right. and who's played in the NHL. But, and and that will be a constant choice because eventually they have to have enough sort of oversized contracts. Right. But they also, for this to really work, they have to get a few of those, yep. you know, at least second-tier prospects. They're not getting, in most cases, they're not getting a top 10 first-round pick. I mean, right. those guys will either be protected or they will be exempt. Yeah. But... But it's it's fascinating. Like I think it's actually more. It's nice to see how much in short order here George McPhee's filled out his front office because I think way more than any NHL expansion team. Like this could go. I I see the bad. Everyone everyone's talking about how good this could be. I, and it's not. Again, <laughs> you said you were an optimist. I am, <laughs> but I see the problem here is right. that they're literally going to face that choice in probably eighteen of the teams minimum. Right where there's a decent guy you want for today but then there's a bit of tomorrow mm-hmm. and and they're weighing that and what's best and and what i mean by why i'm just glad they're getting people in place because they have to do all the diligence they can and even though it's you know june is still 10 months from now it's not that long that's a lot of games yeah. to watch it's a lot of intel to make and and i want the team to be good i mean not out of i just think it should be i mean yeah they paid $500 million. I mean, if, you, if you're, I mean, there's not a lot of equity in pro sports or equality rather, but like they, these guys have paid a lot of money. And if this is going to work, they, they probably have to have a good team. And I just think they can go one way that, that yes, yeah. we'll look back on going, Oh, great expansion process. But I could see another way where we're like, look at all the crap contracts yeah, or stuff. Take with. on all the anchors. And if they don't have enough coming up behind them, like it could, I'm not joking. I could see them, being bad for like seven years because as we know you can't buy out every bad contract you can't trade every bad contract and yep. if they take the wrong bad contracts anyway bad, you know? but that's but that's why i'm what makes it fun man this is this is why the 31st team is amazing well and listen it could go there's so much time left until this actual expansion draft so so many things could change but I think an interesting wrinkle to watch will be just keeping in mind that this team is playing in las vegas uh, in terms of the players that they wind up selecting, because uh, from some discussions I've had, I do think that there will be more of a, a veteran vibe uh, of older players on this team, just because uh, they are worried about kind of loading it up with young guys who might be more uh, in, in, entranced with all of uh, Vegas's uh, vices. Well, so, that, that's real too. Yeah. And the other thing that, that veterans will like is the the no state tax, yes. income tax. 
which, you know, obviously exists now in Florida and in and, and Texas and Nashville and Tennessee or no. Mm. Anyway, definitely in Texas yep. and Florida, but not that many NHL stops right. have a total sort of tax-free situation, uh, you know, which I think when you get to the end of the career, you see the end coming. You're trying to maximize what you make and, and what you do. I think a lot of people will really embrace that community. It's it's not, it's not a bad place. So I was just down there. Uh, when they made the announcement at the end of June, mm-hmm. and I took a ride out with a friend of mine uh, around TP Summerlin, where the TPC Summerlin, where they have a, a pretty good golf course, but it's where the practice facility is going to be. Yep. It's not the strip. And obviously, every other time I've been there, I've basically been yeah. <laughs> on the strip or just off the strip. Right. But it's like there's another world there that, mm-hmm. you know, this is what they're banking on. They, they don't want anyone who even wants to go on a Friday night, really. I yeah. mean, maybe occasionally. They, they're not. You know, inhuman about it, but yep. but they they really want people to want to live in that that other part of Vegas that tourists don't get to see. And right. I'm a big believer in this. I have to say, I mean, I I think that this is going to be really good. I think players are the big thing that sells me. A they have a brand new nice arena. Yeah, and Bill Foley is a real deal. Yeah, like I've just met him a couple times, and I am he's the kind of guy that like, you wish he could be your boss. Like <laughs> right. Like if he wants to buy a media company, I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> and that's not an insult to anyone I work right. for. But like, like he's he's the sort of guy that I think you fall in line for. So he's the right owner to have in this situation with a lot of unknowns hanging over. Mm-hmm. And there will be a lot of unknowns hanging over, especially since I feel like all this stuff's happening, and it's so easy to get like caught up in it. But then you realize that there's actually a full NHL season to be played before any of this really materializes, which seems kind of crazy. It does. Like you wonder what what's, what's George McPhee's next year going to look like. Yeah, yeah. Like I would guess, as veteran as he is, he still doesn't really know. Right. And even all the work he would have done, I'm sure he's talked to David Poyle, for example, who spent a whole year building the National Predators before they were officially the National Predators. They hired Barry Trotz a year out. Right. It, it doesn't sound like LA, uh, Vegas wants to do that. Like that mm. they'll they'll maybe wait a little closer for a coach. But you know, it's it's uncharted territory, even for a guy who's been doing that job for so long and and you know i think he's gonna have to watch the day-to-day nhl a lot right to see what teams are doing because there's, there's a few teams out there that made preemptive moves but like yeah. ben bishop is still with yes. the lightning yeah and i'm like a guy like mark andre Fleury, for example with mark andre Fleury with the penguins, with the penguins. Yeah. i mean the goalies is is the one we it's easiest to focus on because there's really right. you have two nhl goalies in most yeah. cases and then and so we get a look at it but the defenseman is the next case because teams can either protect three as part of sort of the larger scenario, or if they protect four, they get fewer skaters. But, yep. you know, that I don't think that in any case we can start to guess if you, you know, Washington, for example, they have Orpik, Niskanen, uh, Carlson, uh, help me out, Orlov. Uh, Orlov, the guy from Calgary, great guy. We're really, we're really blanking here. I'll, I'll, I'll pull we're it up. We're midsummer. Off. Yes, we're in off-season form. But you know, you realize what I'm saying here is yep. that that I think that that will start to take more clarity as the, the season goes along. Mm-hmm. Which teams are good? Who gets traded? And and if you're George McPhee, you're watching this every day. You're thinking of Carl Osner. Carl Osner. There we go. I'm sorry, Carl. <laughs> Literally one of the, if you're doing my job, like if you're in rooms every day, he's one of the best guys you could. Could account for it, and in George McPhee's case, right? He knows, he knows all about that well, team, yeah. and, and they're a team to me. Just at the outset, I mean, maybe it's as simple as they let Brooks Orpic be exposed, you know, because he has a big ticket. Mm-hmm. But 
that's a team that's going to have some interesting choices. Yes. And there's many more around the league. And I think if you're the GM of the Vegas, they're not going to be the Knights now, apparently. The London Knights yeah, don't like that. But the Vegas, whatever they are, is, yes. you've got to be watching that stuff every day. You've got to figure out sort of where the pressure points are, I guess, in the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to it. I think that uh, it's kind of cool that they went ahead like this and obviously hired McPhee, but then all of a sudden that he just went around and just hired his full staff basically so quickly. Like, not the coach yet, but uh, what, what were your thoughts on all the guys that he hired to make up the rest of his front office? It's, it's an interesting group, yeah. and I just, like, sorry, I'm just geeked out about this still because, yes. like, I feel like my analysis is very thin at this point because I'm just excited because we're seeing something you don't normally see, right. right? But to go to Kelly McCrimmon, right, who I, I know, you know, the Leafs were very close with on a job last year. Uh, other teams have shown interest in. He's he's been in uh, the WHL for years. And Brandon, I mean, that's he's bringing sort of new blood, if you will. Right. I mean, he's been around the NHL with his his family name, but you know, into that organization. I think that that to me is what's interesting. Misha Donskov, help me mm-hmm. out with the yeah Donskov. Yeah. I don't want to mispronounce names. I know. Go. I know you're sensitive oh, if someone gets Filipovich yeah. wrong. Oh, so. oh yeah, or Dimitri misspelled very frequently. So. Right, but Misha obviously has made big names at uh, Hockey Canada as mm-hmm. their analytics guy. Right. I don't have a full sense of what he's doing, but director of, of hockey operations, he's going right. to have a say in it. I mean that that's an interesting hire to me. Yes. I mean, and so they're sort of imagining a different universe. I think that most teams are. Yeah. Most teams are trying to fit people in. They're they're building their you know, their whole thing out. Right. And as I said, I really think this is going to be good. Yeah. Well, I know it's not for everyone, but like, it does seem like it's kind of like a clean slate and there's just like for optimists out there, there's just the possibilities are really endless. Right. So for like, for whether it's people they're hiring or players they'll be getting or people that'll be following that team, it's just like, it is a very exciting time because it could go both ways, but there is also a way to envision this being a success that's going to be so entertaining to watch and good for the league. Right. Like, I, I don't think we're predicting they're going to win, like, the Western Conference no. in the first year, yeah. but they could have a team for sure that's tough to play against, yes. which, I mean, that's the bar. That's yeah. the bar for an expansion team. Yeah. Are you going to win eight games or are you going to, like... yes. Like, be tough. Like, when you go there, you're worried you're going to lose. Right. I mean, and what hockey's become, really, as we know, it's a coin flip so many games. Yes. If anyone's in Vegas right now and you're gambling on games, bless you. Because yeah. I don't know how you do it. Because <laughs> on any given night, really, yes. like, it's become Gary Bettman's ideal here that that more or less teams sort of regress to some sort of mean. And, and there's really a coin flip aspect right. to it. And and. You know, so anyway, I could see them being not obvious. They're they're not going to be sort of historically bad, mm-hmm. but I could see them making historically bad choices, as I yes. mentioned, because because the one thing that all teams are saddled with, even if they're players that play for you, is bad contracts. Yes. And so to start, Vegas has no bad contracts. Right. But as soon as next June nineteenth or seventeenth or whenever that expansion draft is, they might. Well, they're probably going to have to take on at least a couple, honestly. Like right, but do they take five year ones or two year ones? Right. Yeah. And no, that, that's the question. I mean, like, I mean, look, are they going to take on Brent Seabrook, mm-hmm. who has been a tremendous player, won lots of cups? Yes. Nothing bad to say about him individually, but like giving him an eight year extension is that hasn't even kicked in yet. Is, is insane. Well, it'll kick in by the time. Right. Well, yeah, I know, but I mean, like, 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 even like last year, he wasn't even playing on that extension yet, and he'd clearly shown signs of decline. It was just crazy, right? And and you know what they're doing, yeah. But my point is that will immediately, when we're evaluating Chicago down the line, yeah. is going to be like, oh, 
Yes. And so Vegas is starting without that, but I'm just curious how many of those type of deals, you know, do they take on a Dustin Brown? It's probably a more realistic conversation. Right. I don't I don't anticipate Brent Seabrook being exposed, but Dustin Brown certainly will be. I'm sure the Kings would love if they took on Dustin Brown. Right. But if you're in Vegas, like, does that make any sense? Yeah. yeah. And they need, again, they need to hit a certain percentage. I, I believe it's $48 million, right. uh, give or take, in their first year. It might be 49 I know Tom from General Manager will be emailing as soon as as soon as well as soon as this is live, he'll yeah. be telling me what exactly it is. But I'm sorry, Tom, but but it will be somewhere in that range, and, and so they do have to take on deals, right? And so you have to choose which which bitter pills can you swallow and which ones do you want to avoid? Yes. Well, it's going to be an exciting time, and I'm sure uh, we'll have a lot of discussions about sort of draft strategy and and, and stuff they can do uh, moving forward. Uh, Chris. Thanks for taking the time to come on the podcast, man. It's been it's fun. Awesome. We didn't even get to the World Cup, so that's how... We didn't... Uh, we'll, we'll do that later. I'm sure we'll have time in the next month or so to, to chat about that. Um, so everyone can follow you at, at Reporter Chris, and they can follow my uh, Toronto Adventures blog that I still haven't named yet, but will be going online shortly. Are you going to be back on Twitter soon? I, I, I hope so. The we'll people want to know. We'll see. I, I, I hope so. I've been tweeting out the links to these podcasts, so hopefully I'll actually start indulging in conversations again. All right. Well, we, we will all <laughs> wait with bated breath. All right, man. Talk soon. The Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast. Mm-hmm.